I have a very complicated relationship with Pentecostals. Those of you who are in this room who would qualify, classify yourselves as Pentecostal people, I find you people the most fascinating and terrifying people on the earth. (laughs) Very complicated relationship that I have as a follower of Christ with the whole Pentecostal perspective. I mean, you guys, you Pentecostals, you do theology all wrong. You do it backwards. You do something called reverse hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is just a science of studying the Bible in a methodological way. I have to use that word every once in a while because I paid a lot of money to learn it. Pentecostals do this. They say, here's our experience. Let's find something in the Bible to support it. That's not right. It's dangerous. Sometimes you get lucky, but sometimes you don't. Pentecostals really got traction in the early part of the 20th century at Azusa Street Mission in California when the Holy Spirit just fell out on a whole bunch of wonderful, uncomplicated believers who were just gathered together and asking God to come and do something. And Holy Spirit fell out on them in a revival time. And uh, among the many things that happened is they all started speaking in tongues. They all started speaking in tongues, and many of them exhibited uh, physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit, like shaking and falling down, stuff like that. And so in order to give some theology for that, the Pentecostals started looking into the Bible to find evidence of that in the Bible and say, well, there, there you go. It's right there a couple times in the book of Acts. And so therefore, they arrived at a doctrine called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in which they say that it is important for a believer not only to come to Christ as their Savior, but at some later time, sometimes spaced down the road, sometimes it's soon, but sometimes a long time afterwards, that person will have a second, what's called a second definite work, or a second definite experience with the Holy Spirit, at which time they will be what they call baptized in the Holy Spirit, at which time they will speak in tongues. And the true Pentecostal perspective says that that speaking in tongues is the only definitive evidence that you've actually been received the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that it's universal, everybody will do that. <clears throat> now the problem with that is that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says lots of us will speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. I think it's amazing. can't really imagine my life without it. But I also know that if I go to McDonald's with a friend of mine who doesn't speak in tongues, they're going to charge us the same for a cup of coffee. And I know, I know some other believers in this body who, you know, you don't speak in tongues, but I long for the character of Christ that I see in you. I long for the mercy I see in you that I can't seem to generate. I long for certain things that I see in you. And so the Pentecostals developed this perspective, and there are many of you here, and you're welcome to be here. You just got to know that you're wrong. If you're comfortable with that, you're welcome to hang around, right? So that's the first thing is they interpret the Bible backwards. They say, this is our experience, so let's see if we can impose that on the Bible and find something to support. It's called proof texting. It's dangerous. The other thing that Pentecostals do wrong is that they, they develop doctrine. And by doctrine, for those of you who are new to this whole deal, 
those are like the important statements of what it means to be a Christian and stuff like that. They develop doctrine from narrative from the Bible instead of the epistles and the principles. And so they say like, hey, look, almost every time that people were filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they spoke in tongues. Therefore, our doctrine is, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. But that's really dangerous because if you, if you took that approach to developing doctrine, think of the times you'd go to the, the Bible and, and develop doctrine from narrative. I mean, Jesus walked on water and he called Peter to walk on water. So if we just took that narrative and we said, well, I guess if you're going to be a real Christian, you should be able to walk on water, right? Right? You see, you know, I'm just using that as a ridiculous example. But you see the fundamental error. But um, it's not just the doctrine of Pentecostals that, that I find uh, to have a kind of a complicated relationship with, but it's, it's the weirdness of Pentecostals themselves. Because you guys are messed up. You guys are just strange. You really are. I mean, um, uh, it, and, and you just seem so arrogant about how wrong you are. So confident in your error. And you just seem so arrogant about it, and you don't, you don't seem to have the humility that I pride myself in having. <laughs> so, you know, it's an interesting thing we have going on in this crazy place here. But there's one thing that I truly, truly admire about the Pentecostal people that I know. I truly admire that you have an unshakable confidence in the victory of God. You have an unshakable confidence in the victory of God. That not only is God going to win, but He's already won. And that it is yours to take up the things that God has won for you. I love that about you. You inspire. I told you it's complicated, right? And you inspire that. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, here's what the Bible says. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you the victory. That's a promise from the Old Testament. A promise that lays on the heart of Pentecostal people. It says, God, God is my victor. He's already gone before me. Jesus, the great high priest, according to the book of Hebrews, addresses the church and says, I'm going before you. So as you face the battle, he says, Claim the victory. Lay claim to the victory, and you will affect the outcome. Babe Ruth stood at home playing the 1932 World Series. And he was behind on the count. Charlie Root was pitching for the Cubs. The Chicago bench was heckling Babe Ruth as he was up there. And so in an act of defiant victory, so legend has it, I guess he was a left-handed hitter, I guess, to end this way. (laughs) 
he pointed toward the flagpole toward center field, which was 440 feet from the plate. And what he was saying to them was, go ahead. You can heckle me all you want. You can challenge me all you want. But the next time I swing this bat, the ball is going out of the park over the center field fence. Pitch came in. He took the pitch. It was a called strike. Two strikes. He pointed again. Next pitch came. He had to almost step outside of the batter's box in order to get position to hit this ball. He was almost called out because his foot almost went out of the batter's box. And he swung on that ball, and he launched that over the center field fence some 490 feet. And he called the victory. He declared the victory before he ever swung the bat. Believers, as you go into this new year, I want to help you today to stand in front of it and declare the victory. I want to give you whatever you need, whether it's information or inspiration, for you to stand and declare the victory over your coming year. That is yours to do. How do you do it, you ask? Go ahead, ask me. Very, very unbelievably simple teaching this morning. This is all about the Word of God. You declare the victory over the coming year by engaging the Word of God, the Bible. And you need to do three things. First one is you've got to learn it. You've got to know the Word of God, beloved. You say, what good does it do to read my Bible? Because in Psalm 119.11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hid it in there. I've stored it in there. You've got to have the Word in there. What good does it do to read my Bible? I don't understand it. Lay it in there, lay it in there, lay it in there, lay it in there, lay it in there. You're loading your weaponry. Every time you read the Bible, every time you store something away like that, you're loading the weapons. You're becoming a stronger, more capable, more prepared person. You need to lay it in there. You need to learn it. You need to do what you must to take advantage of opportunities and resources that are around you to get this Word of God inside of you. There are Bible studies everywhere. There's stuff online. There are books to read to help you understand and embrace the Word of God. You've got to learn it. You've got to get it in there. Second Sunday of February, Sunday night, I'm going to start another round of discipleship training here, which I'm personally going to teach. I'll teach 100 followed by 200, followed by 300. They're about six weeks long each. What is that? That's our way of helping you to develop the tools to know and understand your Bible and to walk it, walk out your walk with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. We call it discipleship training. The first class starts assuming you know absolutely nothing. I say this. This is a Bible. <laughs> it has an Old Testament <laughs> and a New Testament. And here's the difference. And you might be sitting there going, well, I know all that. There are people sitting here going, you know, I don't really know what the difference is. I don't really know that there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. I don't really know that there are 31,173 verses in the Bible. And you say, but beyond all those, those facts, I don't know why Genesis is where it is and why Revelation is where it is and what the relationship between those things are. I don't understand these things. 
and you find it very difficult to even know where to begin, right? I invite you to come on February the 8th. I'd like to start on February the 5th, but that's Super Bowl Sunday. That ain't happening. (laughs) Will you make a mental note of February the 8th? You're all welcome. If you've never been through our disciple, Some of you are saying, you know, I went through the discipleship training program and I'm still not understanding the word. That's your fault. We gave you the tools. Maybe you need to come around again. We'll be glad to have you. Be glad to have you. We'll fill this room up if we need to. And we'll help you with that. But you've got to start. If you want to declare the victory, you've got to learn the word of God. The second thing you need to do is you need to believe it. You need to believe it. You need to make a decision to believe it. We make decisions to believe things all the time, don't we? Things that may or may not make logical sense. How many of you believe the Buckeyes are going to win on Thursday? How many of you believe that? I would have expected that to be much greater, actually. How many of you believe the Buckeyes are going to win on Thursday? Anybody? See, there you go. You believe that. You believe that. And, you know, there's some evidence they could, some evidence they won't. But nonetheless, you have made a decision to believe that, haven't you? Now, I'm not knowing whether you believing it or not is going to make any difference on the outcome. That stuff I don't know. But you've, that's an example of a decision that you've made to believe. How many of you believe that your car is going to start when you go out and turn the key? Pretty much everybody? Yeah? Okay. If not, see Jeremy right there in the middle. He'll happily sell you a new car, Okay. You have beliefs. You have beliefs. You have a set of beliefs. You're functioning your whole life on a set of beliefs. You've chosen to believe these things are true. Some cases you have data, some evidence to support it. In some cases you don't. But you've chosen to believe it. And you're functioning from belief. You want to declare victory over the coming year? Yes or no? Then believe that the word of God is true. Believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Believe that there's no weapon formed against you that will prosper. Believe these things of Scripture. Believe that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Believe these things, okay? Believe that my God shall meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Make a decision to believe these things. And I do love this about you Pentecostal freaks. I do. I'll tell you what. You believe this stuff. And you inspire me to believe it. You have crazy sayings like, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. Bumper stickers and things on your fridge and stuff like that, you know. Thank you. Thank you for calling us to believe. Thank you. And the third thing that you need to do if you want to declare victory is you need to speak it. You need to speak the word of God over your circumstances, over your life. And this is sounding frighteningly Pentecostal, isn't it, right? But it's true. This part is absolutely true. This part is absolutely true. We see it in scriptures. We see it supported in scriptures, both textually and contextually. For example, when Jesus went out and was tempted by the devil, the devil came to him and tempted him three times. What did Jesus do every time? Spoke the word of God back over him. It says, after the third time, the devil left him and angels came and attended him. That'd be a good day, wouldn't it? Would it be a good day if the devil left you and angels came and attended you? Speak the word of God. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, it says that Jesus, with a word, he drove out demons. The spoken word. Now, they didn't tell us what the word was. That's good. Or we'd turn that into some kind of magic word, wouldn't we? It's the principle of the thing that you've got to embrace. You have the power with the spoken word to champion over the devil. You have that power, but you've got to speak it, thinking it isn't going to work. 
Ephesians 6.17 says one of the pieces of the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it says. The sword of the Spirit. You have that in your hand to speak that out against the things that are opposing you. So what I want to ask you to do here this morning is just ask yourself, what are the areas of your life that you'd like to declare victory over in the coming year? You'd like to stand at home plate right now and just point. (laughs) I'm going to get victory over that thing this year. Is there some life-controlling habit you just can't get free from? You've asked God to set you free. You've promised him you'd never do it again. You've sought forgiveness for this a thousand times, haven't you? How about if you stand? How about if you stand and declare victory over it? Declare a conquering power of the Holy Spirit over it. How about a festering or debilitating wound that you have? Some of you, I love you so much, your stories are so hard to hear, so sad. Some of you have been in terrible places. You've been abused and rejected, abandoned, hurt. And that's a wound. And that's the wound that the enemy just keeps like to visit, right? Liking to visit, visit, start a message in your mind that you know isn't true, but you can't stop feeling it in your heart. Ask, why don't you declare victory over that wound this morning? What about a heckling from the enemy? How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are heckled by the enemy? There's this constant play of this message inside of you telling you, you're not, you're not, you're not a good person. You're not going to make it. You're, 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 you're a disgrace. You're a shameful disgrace. Why don't you stand, right, face that voice and declare your sonship or your daughterhood to Jesus Christ. And you just declare your value to that. So what I'm saying to you here this morning is I just want you guys to take some time to be intentional. Before we roll over the last page of the calendar here, intentional about next year. I'm not going to ask you to make New Year's resolutions. Eh, You know how they work, right? That's because... New Year's resolutions are built on our strength. The person who stands and declares victory over the coming year does so by God's strength. By God's strength. That Jesus has already won the victory. He's already conquered sin and death on the cross. He's already overpowered death through the resurrection. He's offered us His Holy Spirit to come and indwell us and give us an amazing, powerful life. Do you want that for the coming year? Okay, well then let's just begin right now. Let's just bow our heads, and I want to ask you to bring to your mind some aspect of your life that you'd like to declare victory over by the power of God. Just bring to that mind. This is all just between you and God in the context of a loving fellowship here. People who wouldn't judge you. We wouldn't, none of us would have a leg to stand on to judge another here. And so would you just bring in the context of some quietness with the Lord right now, you just bring those things to, to mind. You know, if you could materialize them, if there were some way of doing that, just do that in front of you. The thing that you finally want to be rid of, and invite God to come and make war on that thing on your behalf. The Bible says that he'll go out to war in front of us. That's his promise. That he'll go out to war in front of us. So just invite God to come and make war on that thing so that you can get to the place of, uh, of declaring victory.
Father, we ask your blessing, we ask your power, we ask your strength, we ask your kingdom to break out in this place. We ask you to come and to move in the hearts, the lives of these people. Tony, come on up and do some ministry up here for us. We're so blessed to have, you know, Tony as our pastor here. So we're just going to ask him to come up and just do some ministry here among us as we make our declarations of, uh, you know, what's true.